morning, everybody. Glad you guys are here today. Uh, I want to just say welcome to everybody who is new to Access Church, and we have some gifts for you out there at the lobby, and uh, we would love to get to know you more. I want to give you a couple of announcements at the beginning to catch us all up on a couple of things. First of all, I want to say just thank you to everybody and how we've handled uh, the coronavirus here as a church. And uh, last week, we, I did a little statistical analysis of the two weeks or the two months prior to coronavirus and what our average attendance was in both locations here and in Middletown. And then last week, in terms of how many people were here, and, and of course, there's many more that are also online. <coughs> last week, we had about 78% of our people that uh, were here prior to coronavirus who are back and are watching and being careful and all that. Now, now to put that in perspective, that is far different than uh, a lot of my friends who are uh, at 20 or 30 percent, and they're trying to navigate through that, and that is a tremendous challenge for them. And so I just appreciate you as you are, you know, coming in, we're following the right things, we're trying to do the things that uh, the governor has asked us to do, uh, and yet we also see the value in coming together and some of what we have navigated as a staff, uh, of, of course, are the, the concerns uh, for the coronavirus or the fear that people might have had, especially at one time. <clears throat> but not only that, the other side, which is the two greatest weapons of the enemy, I think, are fear and isolation. And so we have had to navigate with people through those two things because through this we have experienced fear and isolation. And, and boy, there is just some value in being together worshiping together, celebrating together, and we are uh, helping people process through that and, uh, and coming back together. So I appreciate your great attitude, as well as continue contribute to what's happening here. Uh, of course, uh, you know, there has been a dip in giving and all of that, but I mean, look, in comparison to a lot of our friends in ministry as well, Access Church has done really well during this time. I just really appreciate everybody continuing to be a support to what is happening at, uh, at the church here. Uh, the other thing is, I, I want to just say that, catch up on what's going on in Middletown a little bit. Uh, we have our plans in for our final permit in Middletown, and I can already hear my voice is fading out, so I'm going to take a moment to grab a microphone, and uh, and maybe even I'll beatbox if like, I feel like really kind of, you know, I don't know, just really in the moment, but um, I'm using red, by the way. <laughs> That's good, because I don't like... There we go. Oh, okay. Hello. Uh, so I want to give you that update about Middletown is that we are, uh, we are in the process. We've got our architectural review board uh, meeting, and they approved us, so that is good news. And pretty soon we're going to begin to see uh, some movement up there in Middletown with the building. And so we're encouraged by that, and they are encouraged by that, which is great as well. Uh, let me pray for us as we get started. God, we just give you thanks for uh, just really just the spirit of Access Church, God. Thank you for those who are serving, and I know that has been a tremendous task because uh, there have been many who haven't felt able to serve during this time, and so there have been some individuals, God, as you know, that are just doing a yeoman's work for uh, serving, and uh, just week after week after week, teaching children, working in tech, and, and God, help us all to kind of come to this point where we go, okay, you know, we're, we're now, we're re-engaging, and we want to continue to help move forward the mission of what's happening here. And God, thank you for the good things that have happened. Thank you for the conversations that have taken place. Thank you, God, for the relationships that have been built during this time. And Lord, I just pray that you continue 
uh, to bless uh, the church here. God, thank you for uh, just your love and your grace and your mercy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you guys ever been in a situation where you wanted to impress somebody or maybe uh, you were in a moment and you were trying to do the right things and it just wasn't going well? Any of the rest of you had maybe a moment where technology was not your friend? Uh, not long ago, I was going to have a conversation with Muhammad, who owns our building. Many of you know Muhammad. Uh, he uh, was the vice president at GE Aviation for years and years, uh, over 10,000 people. He's a very professional individual. And, uh, and so he'll call me occasionally, or he'll say, hey, can you take a call at so-and-so time? And he's going to talk to me about things about the building or something around here. It's going to be very professional, but it's going to be very pleasant, and we have a good relationship like that. But it wasn't long ago, just a couple weeks ago, he said, I want to call you at 4 o'clock. And I said, okay, that's 4 o'clock, it'll be fine. I was on the phone, but it wasn't yet 4 o'clock. It was like 3.50. He was calling me early, but I didn't know he was calling me early because I was on the phone. Now, you know that when someone calls you, sometimes your phone will give you an auto response, right? Like it will give you the opportunity for an auto response. And so here's what happens. He calls me, I don't pick up. He texts me and says, I'm trying to call you. I did not know this at the time, but my cheek was responding to Muhammad, okay? So, like, this is going on. Now, later when I talked to him on the phone, in just a few minutes, he goes, I don't think your phone, I don't think your phone is working. I don't think your volume is up, he said. And I went, okay, but I had no idea that he was trying to call me in the moment. As soon as I got off the phone with him, I looked back at our text messages to see what he was talking about. Sure enough, he was calling me while I was on the phone, and my cheek, my fat cheek, was auto-replying auto to him. He says, I'm trying to call you, and I give him the big thumbs up. Not just one, like the double, triple-time thumbs up. Like, it was like, hey, 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 like, you know, I'm trying to call you. Okay, Muhammad. And then he tries to call me again, and he says, please pick up. My cheek decided it wasn't good enough for her to give him a big thumbs up, so he says, I'm, uh, he says please pick up. And my, I, my response through my cheek was, sounds good, and another thumbs up. Like, I was like, sounds good. Hey, Muhammad. So after it was all over and I realized what was happening, I called him. I texted him back. And, you know, you can't just leave it alone. I was like, professional Muhammad, you know, over 10,000 people, owns the building that we happen to rent. And I'm now texting him, ha, 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 you'll never guess what happened. Funniest thing, my cheek was responding to you. Now, he could have responded that in a variety of ways. Luckily, he responded with four emoji faces, little tears happening, a little smiley face. Like, he gets it, you know. It was a very funny thing. But how many of you have ever been in a situation where even your best efforts fell short, right? Even your best efforts, even on your best day, you're like, it is not working out very well for me. And that really is the context of the book of Galatians. What was happening in the book of Galatians or in the letter to a group of churches in an area of the world at that time called Galatia? That's the reason we call the book Galatians. Paul writes this letter to them, and, and he had had a wonderful ministry with them. Probably about two years, he had taught them that Christ is sufficient. Christ alone is their only answer. Faith. In him is the answer for their, their relationship with him, their hope for the future, their forgiveness of sins. That was what, the, what his ministry was about. 
But another group of people came in after Paul called the Judaizers, and they said what Paul said was good, but it's not good enough. You need Jesus, but you also need the Jewish law. You still need that. You need to be circumcised. You need to uh, follow the food laws. You can't eat bacon, et cetera, et cetera. At that point, most people checked out because most of us would if you can't eat bacon. Amen. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? So, but he goes, hey, look, you, you have to add things to your relationship with Christ. And that was the backdrop of Galatians. Then Paul writes a letter to the church in Galatia. Now, I don't know if this was his first draft or his second draft. Anybody ever write a letter and you just want to spew out whatever you have in mind and that's kind of how it comes off? There's no, no little smiley face emojis in that letter. And I don't know if this is the first draft or second for Paul, but boy, he does let him have it a little bit. Galatians 3 starts this way, you foolish Galatians, what magician has cast an evil spell on you? For you used to see the meaning of Jesus Christ's death as, as clearly as though I had shown you on a signboard with a picture of Christ dying on a cross. This is the, the modern English translation. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by keeping the law? Of course not. For the Holy Spirit came upon you only after you believed the message and heard about Christ. Have you lost your senses? After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Paul is saying, I know there's a group of teachers that are saying you need Jesus plus, but I'm saying you need Jesus alone. And by the way, if this sounds familiar, it is familiar. Galatians chapter 1, Paul said something similar. Galatians chapter 2, Paul said something similar, but every time he says it, he reemphasizes a little different point for us. And Paul is calling the Galatians out. Now they have come to faith in Christ. They are believers in Jesus. They're Christians. And yet they're being told, you have to add to that. You have to add to that relationship. And I don't know, but why do we do that? Why do we come to Christ and feel like somehow then we have to add to it? Somehow... We have to, it's not good enough what Christ did on his own, so therefore we have to add our own human effort. We have to try to earn our own way into a right relationship with God. Why do we do that? Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's ego. Maybe we like to think that we have something to do with our salvation. Maybe we like to think if we have earned it, and, and then you know, we're not worthy maybe some way. Or maybe we think it's just insecurity. God would never love me anyway, so I better earn my way. Or maybe that's just the American way. If I just earn my way, then maybe God will be happy with me. But I want to be very clear about what Paul says in Galatians 3. It is by your faith in Christ. Faith, your faith in Christ, is what makes you right with God. Look at verse 24. The law was our guardian and teacher to lead us until Christ came. So now, through faith in Christ, we are made right with God. So Paul uses this term, a guardian, a, a, a watcher. In the Greek culture, they would often have kind of a nanny, really, someone that watched their children, someone to help teach their children, develop them, give them special skills, take them to school, teach them right from wrong. It's the same word in the Greek that is used here to describe that, that activity, that the law is your guardian. The law was your tutor. It taught you what was right and what was wrong. It taught you what was good and what was bad. But the law cannot save you. 
it can only teach you good and bad. It can only teach you right and wrong. It can only be a guardrail for you. You cannot be saved by following the law. You cannot live perfect enough or be good enough by the law. You can't do it. Now, I asked a couple weeks ago how many of you were perfect. I did have one person in the second hour. Uh, she said she was perfect. Her husband readily agreed, amen, and that was true. That was Paul and Audrey Mead. Um, she's perfect, and he agreed, but anyway, so, but most of us are not perfect, true? I mean, in fact, the Bible says not one is righteous, not even one, not on your own effort, not even on your best day. I mean, some of you guys, even in this moment, you're thinking about something you shouldn't be thinking about. When you leave this room today, are you going to have a selfish thought, a vindictive thought, a jealous thought? Some of you won't make it but before lunch, before you have a sinful thought, and me as well. And so with that kind of behavior, that kind of activity, Paul just says you cannot earn it. There's nothing you can do. In fact, he said it this way in Romans 7. I don't understand myself at all. For I really want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. And when I want to do good, I don't. And when I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. Does that sound familiar to anybody? You ever felt that way? That, man, I, no matter how good, even on my best day, the Bible says our righteousness is like filthy rags. That's why in verse 21 it says the law could have, if, it had given, if it could have given us new life, we could have been made right with God by obeying it. But the scripture has declared that we are all prisoners of sin. So the only way to receive God's promise is to believe in Jesus Christ. That's it. There's no magic wand here, friends. There's no God plus us is going to get it done. It is Christ and Christ alone. And if you want to be right with God, if you want to stay right with God, there's only one way to do it. Put your faith in Christ Jesus and his payment for you on the cross. And verse 25 says, now that faith in Christ has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. He's saying that our focus is no longer on the old Mosaic law. It is on simply living in the grace of God. And because he loves us and because he gives us grace, now we want to do the right things. But we don't earn it. We don't deserve it. And Paul is saying to the foolish Galatians, stop trying to earn your way. Stop trying to look good. How many of you are, you remember, what, what did we used to do before social media, by the way? Did, I mean, really, do you think about that ever? Like, what, how do we spend our time before social media? How many of you are, uh, Facebook is your number one social media? Raise your hand. If that's your number one social media, raise your hand. Uh, some of you guys don't even want to admit it now. How many, uh, Instagram is your number one social media? Number one. How many of you, uh, WhatsApp? Anybody use WhatsApp? They use it internationally a lot. TikTok, how many of you, TikTok is your number one, uh, your number one uh, social media? How many of you know social media? I mean zero, nada, nothing, no, no at all. I don't even look at it. Okay, there's a few of you guys. No social media. Here's the thing about social media is that uh, a lot of times it makes you look better than you actually are. You know there's a filter in almost every social media app and you take a little selfie picture, you can put on a, you could get rid of blemishes, you can get rid of wrinkles, you can make your eyes whiter than they actually are, you can, you can get your teeth whitened right there, just right there, on this, just click a little button. You could put a vignette around you in your picture. You could change your skin tone. 
I mean, this is the kind of filtering that we do on our social media. So when you look at it, you go, wow, that looks pretty good. And we evaluate. Let me see that picture. No, no, no. Let me see that. Let me see that. I want to see what I look like in that. Okay, all right. Okay, it's good. You can post that, all right? Why? Because we are managing our image. And boy, we do that just in life, don't we? We put a filter on us, and when we come into church, we say, we put the I'm in control filter on us. I got it all together filter. We put the I'm successful filter on. We, we got the I've got the perfect marriage filter going on. We've got the I have everything right with God filter. But friends, can I submit to you that the only filter we really need is a filter called grace? Because we sure all need it. And we're all a mess. And while you guys all look good to me today, um, you know the truth is, deep down inside, we all have an issue. We all have something that separates us from God. We all have imperfections. We all have things that take us far from God. We all know that our righteousness is like filthy rags before the God of the universe. And so we remove the filter of everything else. And that's one of the reasons I just love being a part of this faith community because we're we understand right from the beginning, nobody's on a pedestal except Christ alone. Nobody's perfect except Christ alone. We're all sinners in deep, deep need of God's grace. We need his grace filter. So put your faith and trust in Christ. That is the only way. That's the only way to have salvation and hope for your future and forgiveness of sins. It's the only way. You cannot earn it. You cannot. You don't deserve it. Secondly, faith puts you in touch with God's power. Verse 5 says, I want to ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law of Moses? Of course not. It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ. Notice how casually he just throws out the word miracles. No, I mean, just in the verse, he just says, he just says, when the miracles happened, did they happen because of the law of Moses or you followed it? No, it is only because of Jesus Christ. It's because of his hand on your life. And you know what I think? I think miracles happen so often that we miss them. I think we look back at the Old Testament or maybe the New Testament, we say, oh, this person was healed with this illness or this ailment, and unless it is some hugely miraculous thing, we discount it as maybe that was coincidence or maybe that was no big deal at all. I think miracles happen in our lives very often, those special moments where God intervenes in our lives in a special way to direct us, forgive us, bless us, protect us, and occasionally do something well and be, uh, be above and beyond any expectation. I believe that God, some of, some of you say, well, maybe God doesn't do miracles anymore. Well, then I would ask you, do you believe that God answers prayer? You say, absolutely, I believe God answers prayer. If you believe God answers prayer, then you believe God does miracles, amen? If God answers prayer, God still does miracles. And God does step into our time and space, and he does something and answers a prayer in some way that, that we didn't expect, that we didn't know was going to happen, and that God did it in the way that he believed was right. And you can experience that miraculous power when you have that faith in God. Believe that he can do that in your life. Now, I want to give you a little lesson on miracles here as part of, a, part, part of this sermon. Here, here's one thing I would say. If, if you want to expect miracles, I would say begin to look for them in other people's lives. Begin to expect miracles in other people's lives. I'm not saying you can't look for them in your own life. I'm just saying sometimes it's easier to see them in other people's lives. 
So start to pray for somebody else because when we pray for ourselves, sometimes we put our own barriers up. We say, God, I don't know if you love me enough or I don't know if I have enough faith or God, I I might doubt that you're going to do this. But when I pray for you, I'll pray with boldness and with great power, believing that God's going to do something in your life. And so when you do that, start to pray for other people and look for the miracles in their life. It will teach you and you'll learn that God does still intervene. Pray for those individuals. Pray for the people around you. And then watch and wait for the answer that God provides. The second thing I would say in this little brief course on miracles is to look for opportunities to be the miracle in somebody's life. Look for opportunities to bless somebody. You might be an answer for prayer for somebody. Uh, Months ago, about a year ago, we learned that uh, our our college, that my daughter Hannah, two of our interns, my daughter Hannah and the JB, were going to be... I was closing down. So Cincinnati Christian University was shutting down, and we didn't know what we were going to do. And in the end of the day, it ended up being a real blessing because if it had shut down during coronavirus, it would have been an, even a bigger challenge. And, and so they were able to get placed in other schools, but that meant that JB, <coughs> an international student, was going to be going to Ohio Christian, which is 90 minutes away from here, which is where he does his internship. But how's he going to get back and forth? And so he begins to think and pray, well, God, I need a car. I need a car. And, and Scott Wells and Valerie Wells from our church, one of our uh, guys on our overseer team, began to say, I, I see that need. And he then one day called JB and said, we have a car that you can have. And JB then was able to drive back and forth from OCU. Somebody says, oh, that's no big deal. Oh, that's no big deal. But it's a big deal to JB. And when God shows up in just the way and JB's praying, God, can you help me because I don't have the resources. And Scott begins to feel the Holy Spirit tug in his heart that maybe he could do something in this situation. Friends, that's a modern-day miracle. He wasn't raised from the dead, but he's able to drive back and forth to school. And I'm just saying, maybe you could be that blessing for somebody else in their life. So begin to pray and say, God, how could I be a blessing for somebody? Because Paul, Paul says, God works miracles among you because you believe the message that you've heard. Not because of your good works, but because of what Christ has done. And now that he has done that for us, we're going to look for ways to bless other people. So faith in God gets us in touch with God. It saves us. Faith in God does a miracle in our life and and allows miracles in others' lives. And and thirdly, faith gives us access to our true inheritance. Look at verse 8. What's more, the scripture looked forward to this time when God would accept the Gentiles too. Before it was just the Jews. It started with the Jews. Then it moved to the Gentiles. On the basis of their faith, God promised this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all the nations will be blessed through you. And so it is. All who put their faith in Christ Jesus share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And now all the promises God gave to him belong to you. Paul is saying that God gave a promise to Abraham. What was the promise? We find it in Genesis. I didn't put it on the screen, but listen to what he said. God promised to Abraham in a covenant, an arrangement, agreement. I will cause you to become the father of a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make you famous. I will make you a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Why? Because through the line of Abraham, the Messiah would come. Jesus would come. He would save the world from their sin. 
Genesis 18, 18 says, For Abraham will become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. According to Paul, through Christ, we are heirs to that promise. We are blessed because we don't have to follow the law to be saved. We follow Christ and Christ alone. Our daughter, uh, Rebecca, we took her to Milligan College, Milligan University, uh, on Friday and then returned on Saturday. Uh, she asked me before it happened, are you going to cry? <laughs> um, indeed, yes, actually, um, but not until I got in the car afterwards, and Lisa was said, I'll take the first leg of the drive, so she's driving, and I, I didn't want to make it worse for her, but I just felt like I needed to write her a message, and so I just wrote her and just told her how proud I was of her and how much we're going to miss having her around and how much we look forward to it. And in the middle of that, nobody in the car noticed, but I am just like, you know, just thinking, about, oh, gosh, you know, what is, it, what is life going to be like without Becca here, and, and uh, in, at least in, our, in, our, in six hours, you know. And, uh, but she was talking to me. She's, she's going to Milligan for ministry, and several years ago uh, when I said, what do you want to do with your life? Here's, here's what she said. This will tell you something about Becca. She goes, um, she says, I want to I want to uh, get a degree in ministry. And this, she's only like nine or ten. She said, uh, and I want to marry a man who will help me build my church. I mean, like, that's Becca all the way, you know. It's like, she want to marry a pastor. She's like, no, I'm, I'm going to get him to help me out, you know. That gives you a good sense of, uh, of her. But uh, she goes to uh, Milligan, but she's asking me these questions, really big questions about faith. And this week she said, uh, she said, Dad, um, can you, you know, can you lose your salvation? Is there anything you can do that will cause God to go, I don't want you to be part of my family anymore? Well, that's a big question. And I said, well, Becca, I mean, are you, let me ask you this. Are you part of my family? And she said, yes. And I said, were you born into our family? She said, yes. I said, well, listen, Becca, no matter what you do in your life, good or bad, you're always my child. I will always love you. I will always be there for you. And while I may not agree with every decision, you know, that, it, that you might make, you're still my child. The only thing that would cause you not to be my child is if one day you said, Dad, I don't want to be part of this family anymore. I don't want to be with you. I don't want to be part of this family. And I don't want to be in relationship with you. That's it. It's the very same thing with God. With God, God loves you. You are born into his family. You are born again. In his case, we are adopted into his family. He chose us, and now we have the opportunity to be his child. And we're going to be his child throughout, no matter what you do. And so some of you think, well, i got to put on a good face. i got to be this kind of person. I have to have it all together. And God just says, why don't you just be you? Just be my child. And with that comes all the rights, privileges, and responsibilities of becoming a child of God. You get all the inheritance that goes with it. You are my child. And the only way that you're not going to be my child is if one day you look and say, you know what? I don't want to be a part of this anymore, God. I don't want a relationship with you, and I don't want to be in your family. Some people, one song calls that a slow fade. Somebody said you can lose your salvation through a slow fade. Somebody else said you could do it through spiritual starvation. Somebody else said you could do it through spiritual suicide. Regardless. It's just that moment where you say, God, I don't want to be in this family anymore. But other than that, you are in God's family. You don't have to worry about, does God love me? Does he not love me? Am I good enough? Am I bad enough? Let's just go ahead and get it together. You're not good enough. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. There's nothing you can do. God, in his grace, said, I want you to be my child. And with that comes all the inheritance 
That's why it says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. That's the key. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. In other words, you've chosen a new direction. You've taken off the old garments and you've put on the new team garments, right? You were on a different team and now you put on the new garments. You are now baptized into Christ, clothed with Christ. And now, therefore, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Boy, that's a message we need to hear today, isn't it? In this culture that struggles and divides, we all need to hear in Christ and in Christ alone, we are together. We are a team. When I was in high school, I went to Mount Healthy High School here in Cincinnati, and it was a very diverse school. I ran, uh, did a couple sports for them, but I ran track for them. And the track team was made up of all kinds of different people. Men and women, black and white, Asian, Hispanic, all came together. And we came together on that track. We were all one team, united together with one purpose, that Mount Healthy would be the victor in that race. The fighting owls. Very scary, I know, but that's what we were. The fighting owls. That's the banner we were under. And when you are under the banner of Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. You get that to be part of that blessing, part of that promise where God said, I'm going to save the world through Christ and Christ alone. So in here, there is no distinction. There are no favorites. We are all one, and it is a message today that we all need. And God says, I choose you. You don't have to earn it. I just offer and extend it to you. You were under an old covenant, which was a covenant of the law. Today, you're under a new relationship. It's a relationship called grace. That's what binds us together. One of the most famous stories in the Bible is in Luke chapter 15. You know it really well. It's where a father has two sons and one of them is, does all the right things. He really does in this story represent the, the kind of the religious side, those who always try to do, you know, the right thing. And they, you know, they felt like they earned something through their effort. That's the older brother. The younger brother represents the ones who go, you know, I don't need that. I, I don't want to follow all that. I'm just going to do my own thing, be my own person. And in fact, I want my inheritance now and I'm going to waste it. So the son goes off, wastes his dad's money, ends up in a pigsty. You know the story. It's a really bad deal. He had friends when he could buy them, and now he doesn't have friends anymore. And he goes back home, and he rehearses in his mind what he's going to tell his dad. And here's what's interesting. When he rehearses his speech, his speech goes back, and he thinks to himself, I just have to earn this again. Because think about what his speech was. His speech was, Dad... I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I can't be in your family anymore. Therefore, make me one of your hired hands. In other words, because I can't, because I can't be your child because I squandered that opportunity, I will now earn my way to your blessing. Okay? What happened? Father sees him a long way off, runs to him, Sandals flying, Jewish beard in his face, hair in the wind. His 
very undignified. He embraces his son. The son tries to sputter out this. I'll just work for it, Dad. I'll work hard. And the dad goes, this son of mine is back. He's returned. Bring the fatted calf. Bring the ring. What was the ring? It wasn't jewelry. It was a family emblem. It said, son, I know you blew it, but you're still in my family. You're still my son. What is the message? The message is, no matter what you have done, no matter what you have become, when you are a child of the living God, He runs for you. He cares for you. He wants a relationship with you. So don't worry about, oh, no, I'm not perfect. I'm not good enough. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's good enough. Don't worry about, oh, I don't have it all together. Nobody does. So don't try to sputter out that speech like that young guy did at the last second. He said, oh, Father, God, man, just let me earn my way back in. Let me work my way back in. Let me just be one of your hired hands. Then maybe I'll do it. And God looks at you and says, you are my child with all the inheritances, rights, and privileges of being a child of God. Welcome back. Welcome back. But now that you are under that grace, now you respond. Now you work. Why? Because when you're enveloped in grace, you can't help but to say, God loves me so much, I want to now do things for him in return. I want to respond in love to him. So I want to pray for you today. Some of you today, you're wearing a filter, and I want to encourage you today to begin to drop that filter and just take on the filter of grace. That involves being real with some people around you. It involves being real with God. God, I'm not perfect. God, I just need your help. God, thank you for receiving me in your family. And some of the rest of you need to be a blessing to somebody else. You need to be that miracle for somebody else. You need to be watching on the lookout for people that have those needs. They might be praying, and you might be the very blessing that God's expecting, that miracle that can happen in their life. But regardless what it is, let's continue to make this place a grace place. It always understands that nobody in here is perfect. and We all need that banner to rally under that banner of Christ and Christ alone. God, we thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for the message of Galatians, which reminds us all that we can't earn it, and we certainly don't deserve it, but Jesus Christ paid everything for us. He paid the price on the cross. He gave up everything for us so that we might be part of this family, so that no matter what we've done, no matter what we've become, God, that we don't have to earn it. We certainly don't deserve it, but God, you welcome us back into your family with open arms and say, this son of mine who was lost is now found. This daughter of mine that was gone and run away has now come back home, and grace is extended. The inheritance is restored. And that, God, we thank you for that. We thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you for paying everything for us. In Jesus' name.